Amen. Thanks, Josh. Josh is going to scurry off stage with all of his equipment and uh, drive to Cicero now for our 11 a.m. service there. That's uh, one of the reasons we were meeting earlier at 9 rather than 10 um, was so that we could utilize some some volunteers so uh, we don't need four different preachers, all that stuff. So I'll also be preaching at uh, the Sun Used Car King in Cicero at 11, which I don't know if I'm preaching from the hood of a car or how that's going to work, but uh, we'll figure it out. Uh, If you want to take your face mask off, if you're socially distanced from another family or something six feet away, feel free to do that now while you're sitting. If you don't feel comfortable with that, that's fine too. For those of you that came in um, just a little after nine, uh, we are asking everyone who's here to check in. This is not something that we're uh, given to the state or federal government, but it is something where if there's any coronavirus-related information to this service that we need to communicate to you, um, we want to make sure that we know who is here this morning. So if you go to missiochurch.org backslash check in, um, that'd be great. And if you're a guest, um, there's a spot for you to, uh, you know, say that you want more information or get our weekly emails or, I don't know, four times a week emails or how all that works now in, uh, in this, this new world order that we're living in. Uh, my mom is... Um, all for the face masks, but uh, she does say that the face masks make people mean. Um, When she's walking through the grocery store with her face mask on, and she uh, says that she smiles at everyone that she passes, and when she looks in their eyes, she can tell that they're not smiling back. So um, make sure that you smile even when your face mask is on. Um, Maybe it will brighten someone's day. It is really great to be here this morning. It's really great to see your smiling faces and to be with the people of God. We rejoice in um, this opportunity, and uh, I'm sure there's a number of things that we've grown to become thankful for that maybe we took for granted over the last few months. This is, I think, certainly one of those. Um, We are going to uh, look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, a whopping three verses. And what we're going to do this summer is we're going to look through, uh, look at the book of Colossians, and we're going to pick up where we left off in our Sunday morning devotional guide. I think we had three weeks, the three Sunday morning devotional guides where we looked at Colossians thus far, so we're picking up right in the middle of a hymn that maybe Paul wrote, maybe Paul borrowed from, um, you know, the early church that was circulating at that time, but that's where we're picking up. And all of uh, the congregations that are meeting, all the gatherings this morning, are, we're looking at the same passage, Colossians 1, 18 through 20. Um, you don't have the Bible in the pew in front of you if you're used to using that, uh, but you can open up your smartphone or maybe you brought your Bible or you can listen to my soothing voice as I read Colossians 1, 18 through 20. This is the word of the Lord. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather this morning with the people of God, praising your name, singing songs, and declaring your majesty and goodness. We now ask that as we consider this truth about your 
lordship over all things, your preeminence, your supremacy, Jesus, that you would use it to strengthen us and encourage us, that you would um, use it to incline our hearts. Open our eyes, Lord, to this truth. Satisfy us with your word and with your promises. May we live lives that exalt the name of Jesus. It's in his precious name that we pray together. Amen. Well, uh, a lot's happened in the last three months. A few things have been going on in the world around us. Uh, All of us, of course, have been impacted in some form or fashion. Varying degrees, yes, but all of us have been impacted um, by the pandemic and the events of the last few months. And it seems like, at least from our earthly finite perspective, that there is nothing but chaos and confusion all around us. Um, Take, for instance, yes, this coronavirus, the pandemic. I mean, all kinds of questions. Uh, Are the lockdowns constitutional? Social distancing, um, face masks, when should we open the economy? Uh, How dangerous is the coronavirus? What is the death rate? Um, How long should the lockdowns last? Is it legal for churches to gather? Is it legal for churches not to gather? Will the schools be open in the fall? 13.2% national unemployment, Great Depression type numbers. Or take the events of the last uh, few weeks with the death of George Floyd by a police officer, and then uh, protesting, turning into riots, not only in the Twin Cities, but cities all across the United States, in our city right now. We're actually under a state of emergency, and just two weeks ago, we had a curfew uh, at 8 p.m. Geopolitically or globally, not only the coronavirus stuff, but apparently, I don't know if you heard, uh, we're maybe embarking on a new Cold War with China. Um, There is uh, issues and a lot of pressure from the Western world about what they're doing with Hong Kong and, um, you know, bringing that back in or locking that down economically in a sense and all the restrictions there. But I don't need to tell you all these things. Like, we've been living it. That's just the news, like, from the last week, I think. (laughs) I mean, it, it just seems like that things are coming off the rails, Like the train wreck is inevitable. Four to five Americans, based on a USA Today survey, 80% Americans say that things are spiraling out of control. I don't know if you feel that way this morning. It's easy to. The truth from our passage in this second part of this beautiful hymn, though, reminds us of this very important truth, church. And please don't dismiss it because of your familiarity with it. Our hope, our Christian hope, our eternal hope is firm. It's stable. It's steadfast. Jesus is and remains Lord over all things. He is Lord over creation. He is Lord over redemption. 
God has not lost control. God is good. God will be glorified. God will work for the good of those who love him. Jesus is Lord over all things. And the three verses that I read just a few minutes ago emphasizes that Jesus is Lord over all things, including or especially redemption. The first part of the hymn, Colossians 1, 15 through 17, it emphasizes Jesus' lordship over creation. It says things like all things were created through Him and for Him. He's before all things, and in Him all things hold together. So, so that emphasizes His lordship over creation, but now we see the emphasis of Jesus' lordship over redemption, but all under the umbrella that He is Lord over all things. We can direct our hope and our worship and our trust to King Jesus. We're going to see three brief things. One, Jesus' position secures the church. Two, Jesus' resurrection secures the new creation. And three, Jesus' death secures our reconciliation. Jesus' position secures the church. Jesus' resurrection secures the new creation. And thirdly, Jesus' death secures our reconciliation. First, Jesus' position secures the church. Verse 18, and He is the head of the body, the church. And He is the head of the body, the church. First, let's talk about the body, the church, an interdependent people, that very common metaphor in the New Testament. You're familiar with it in the body. Some are hands, some are ears, some are noses, some are feet. But all the body, that metaphor, all working together interdependently. For we need one another. And we impact one another. Um, I'm ha- I had to go to the doctor on Wednesday. Got some issue going on, like in my foot or joint in my foot or, or something. I mean, just right around like my pinky toe. My pinky toe. And just a little bit of an oddity, uncertainty, something funky is going on there. And uh, all of a sudden, like, I'm a little more irritable, can't sleep. You know, I'm, I'm compensating apparently. And so, you know, it's hurting my knee a bit on my other leg. Like, just the interdependency of the body. That, that's the metaphor. And we see that Jesus is the head of the body, the church. I mean, we've learned a lot, I think, in the last few months. Some things good, some things not so good. But one of the things that I think we have all grown to appreciate in the last few months is the body, the church, just because we haven't actually been together face to face. And when I think about Missio Church and uh, just Missio's strength, things that just most encourage me about Missio Church, it's not the music, it's not the teaching, It's not the buildings, as great as those things are, but the strength of Missio Church are the people of Missio Church. It's the body, the people of God encouraging one another and uplifting one another and strengthening one another and correcting one another and discipling one another. And that's one of the the best things, even if it's like baby step 
progress here because we've still got masks and social distancing and all that stuff. But that's one of the, the just the real blessings of this morning is that finally we can actually be with some people face to face. Mark Dever, a pastor in Washington, D.C., says, many in the media and government, he tweeted this recently. So I'm pulling tweets now for sermon prep. Many in the media and government seem to think Christians want to be in churches. They've misunderstood what a church is. It's not a sacred space we long to be in. It's a people we long to be with. I'm certainly thankful for Zoom and you know, FaceTime and all of that stuff. And that's allowed us to continue to connect virtually and videos and, and all of those things. But I think one of the things that we've seen in the last few months is just our need for one another, particularly our need for Christian fellowship, people that will strengthen us, press us to get in the Word and to pray. I mean, we've seen this. We've started two new small groups, missional communities, virtually. A lot of them have swelled to the point where they're multiplying. Like, it just, it's lonely, and we need others to pursue the Lord. He is the head of the body, the church. That, that body metaphor, though, the body has a head, and it's Jesus. Jesus is our authority. Jesus is our sustainer. In the ancient world, the head, that was the governing member of the body. It, it was viewed as um, the controlling portion of the body. The head provided for the body. The head sustained the body. And Jesus, our head, is the source of, of the body's unity. It's the source of the church's direction. It's the source of the church's sustenance. And so we, as the people of God, the body, He's the head of the body, the church, we submit our lives to His authority. We submit our lives to His leadership. We submit our lives to our head's words. Jesus is the senior pastor of Missio Church. He's the head of the body. King Jesus. And it's under that name, Jesus, that that becomes our primary identity. We're the people of Jesus. Our primary identity is not our socioeconomic status, it's not our opinions on the coronavirus. It's not our ethnicity. It's not our education level. It's not our country of birth. It's not who we voted for or who we plan on voting for. All of those things come under submission to our primary identity. All those things are fine, but Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is our primary affiliation. He is our primary allegiance. And therefore, we then become a family, people who would never come together, would never gather, don't have that much in common apart from our affiliation, our love, and our identification with Jesus, our head. Remember, we're talking about how Jesus is Lord over all things. He's Lord over the church, the body. He's the head of the body, the church. His position secures the church. Secondly, His 
resurrection secures the new creation. First part of the hymn, we saw that Jesus was Lord over all creation. Now we see that Jesus is Lord over the new creation, the redemption of our bodies. Um, Second part of verse 18, He's the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. We see when it says the beginning or the firstborn from the dead that Jesus' resurrection is part of His preeminency. William Taylor says that never before or since has someone smashed through the locked door of death never to die again. That's Jesus' resurrection. I mean, this is a comfort. Jesus' resurrection is a comfort for us. Every alert on your phone, it seems like, it's just giving you some updated death numbers. Every day in the state of New York, in Onondaga County, at 11 a.m., we're going to hear from Cuomo. At 3 p.m., we're hearing from McMahon, and we're going to hear and talk about death. And the topic of death may still be other, may still be out there, but we are, I mean, medically speaking, 100% of people die, but it's kind of in our face now in a way that maybe it wasn't three, four months ago. But this line, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, reminds us that Jesus has smashed, smashed through the locked door of death. Jesus has defeated death. He is the beginning. That word beginning, in Greek it's arche, it's where we get the word architect from. It's like this idea of architect, forerunner. Um, You could say that William Bannister was the architect of the four-minute mile. He was the first to do that in 1954. He was the beginning of the four-minute mile. You could say the Wright brothers are the architect. They're the beginning of flight. You can say that Michael Jordan is the architect or the beginning of shoe branding. That's a little last dance reference, by the way, for those of you that watched that documentary during the lockdown. They're the forerunners. They're the architects. They're the the beginnings of those things. Here it says that Jesus is the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead. So, yes, He's the first to have a resurrected body, undefiled, will not decay. But it's not just talking about, like, first in terms of order. It's also talking about first in terms of greatness and power and supremacy. He's the firstborn from the dead. In a messianic psalm, Psalm 89, verse 27 this is how uh, the word firstborn is used, like the firstborn in a kingdom or something. Psalm 89, 27 says, and I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. The idea of firstborn talks about greatness and power. He's the firstborn from the dead. Yes, he's the first of the resurrected body, and he's the greatest. He's the most powerful. He's the most supreme. He's the most preeminent. The preeminent preeminence. I mean, he's greater than President Donald Trump. He's greater than Vladimir Putin. He's greater than Andrew Cuomo. He's greater than President Xi Jinping. Like, he's greater than all of them. 
He's the firstborn from the dead that in everything he, Jesus, might be preeminent. And on that first Easter morning over 2,000 years ago, the dawn of a new age began in which men and women and children like, like us now can have a hope, we can be assured that, please hear this, death is not the end. Let's be wise. Let's wear our face masks. Let's do what we need to do to love, serve, care for others. But let's not fear death. Jesus has smashed through that locked door of death in the beginning. He, he, he is the beginning. He's defeated death. He's the firstborn from the dead. That in everything. Like this just showed how much in everything he's preeminent. In everything Jesus is exalted. In everything Jesus is first and foremost. He's preeminent in our families. He's preeminent in our marriages. He's preeminent in our vocations or professions. He's preeminent in our careers. He's preeminent in our ministries. He's preeminent in our time. He's preeminent in our love. He's preeminent in our affections. He's preeminent in our conversation. He's preeminent in our delights. He's preeminent in our eating. And some of us have done a lot of that in the last three months. He's preeminent in our playing. He's preeminent in our quarantining. In everything, He is preeminent. He's supreme. He's first and foremost. He's exalted. He's the greatest. He's the most powerful. Church, we have hope in that this morning. Thirdly, lastly, see that Jesus' position secures the church. His resurrection secures the new creation. And finally, His death secures our reconciliation. Verse 19, for in Him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. I'm not going to talk much about that now. That is, that is a jam-packed statement, but it comes again with a little more nuance in Colossians 2.9. So I'm hoping we'll address it then. But I will say this, that word dwell, for in Him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That's a word where it means to take up residence permanently. You know, Paul could have chosen the word like for camping or temporary lodging, but instead he chose the word for permanent dwelling. In Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell permanently. It was there to stay. That, that fullness, like you could say full fullness or whole fullness, like the full fullness of God, the whole fullness of God was pleased to dwell and therefore we need to look to no one except Jesus for the full revelation of God's character. Then verse 20, and through Him, to reconcile to himself all things on earth and in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The word reconcile, we're familiar with the term, I think. It, it's a relational term. Like a husband and wife can reconcile. Two business partners can reconcile. You know, there's, there's a relationship there. Two warring nations can reconcile. And by Jesus' death on the cross, what this passage says is that that reconciled for all who call on the name of Christ, God and us relationally were reconciled 
because of that, by making peace by the blood of His cross. And so this, this broken, damaged, cursed, sin-wrecked world, all of it will be reconciled to God in the name of Jesus. So for all who call on the name of Jesus, we, we who have souls that will never die, can be reconciled to God and all of creation. Like I, I saw out, out front, it's been a while since I've been here. I noticed we have cones on all these sinkholes. Like apparently we have sinkholes just popping up all over the property. Like that will be reconciled. That will be renewed. The thorns and the thistles and all the things that just make this life labor, be reconciled. Through Him, to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. Let me end with this. Romans 8, 18 through 25. Thinking of this reconciliation and Christ making peace, it says this. Romans 8 is a wonderfully encouraging chapter to read, particularly in a time like this. 18 and following, Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. That's what I mean. When I mentioned the sinkholes, like that, that's futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoptions as sons the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Church, wait for it with patience. Creation does in fact groan, but we have hope in the preeminent Christ. And so we take comfort in the fact that Jesus is Lord over all, we take hope in the fact that He's Lord over all things, that He's supreme, and that He is preeminent. And so, as we go about our days inundated with up and down news, may we fix our eyes on Jesus, the head of the body, the church. May we fix our eyes on Jesus, the beginning and the firstborn from the dead. May we fix our eyes on Jesus, who's made peace by the blood of His cross. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this truth. We thank You that Jesus is, in fact, preeminent. And I pray that we would just take a deep breath and hope in You, Lord, Ruler, Creator, Sustainer of all things. We have reason to hope this morning, so we don't fret or fear as those who don't have hope, but we have hope in you. Comfort our souls with that this morning, and may we rest in the wonderful truths found in the second part of this hymn, Colossians 
1. Love you, Lord. We're so grateful for this truth. And now, Lord, I also just want to move into a a prayer focus time, specifically want to pray for um, your creation and this nation in particular. And Father, I pray that um, your gospel, that you would use this pandemic and all the uncertainty and uh, the protesting and all of those things that are happening, use them to draw people to yourself and may the church continue to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I pray that if there's things in our own lives, and our own heart that we need to confess and repent of, that you would search us, know our ways, know our hearts, and we'd be quick to turn from them.